0: It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow and feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello, team, and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different, and the tables have turned. I have gone from host to guest, and I was recently featured on the self-made podcast, I was invited onto the show to discuss some of the most common dieting pitfalls that I've experienced myself in my own journey and with all the clients I've worked with over the past years. I thought this episode was a really, really valuable listen, so I wanted to feature it on here so that all of the Simply Fit listeners could hear this one. In this episode, you can expect to learn how to manage the mental aspect of transitioning out of a diet, why you need to learn to motivate yourself in a different way when you're deeper into your journey, and how important I believe deadlines such as photo shoot are, along with so much more. I really hope you enjoy this one, team. Let me know what you think. So without further ado, myself on the Self Made Podcast. My name is Elliot and I am a health fitness coach. I have my own company called EH Coaching, where our primary goal is kind of on the subject of today's podcast, where we essentially look to get people in the best shape that they've been in. And we want to equip them with the tools to ultimately allow them to stay there. Uh, They got the education they need and they are able to thrive and live a great quality of life with their health fitness for the remainder of their life. And I'm also the host of the Simply Fit podcast, which the goal of the podcast there is just to make health and fitness simple and actionable. Just cut through the noise, uh, make sure that there's not too much conflicting opinions. And if I, my opinions are conflicting, I'll let you know. And then I'll try and give you you know most rational perspective I can come out with. So yeah, it's a daily podcast at the moment. So both of those things keep me pretty busy.
1: Yeah, so I mean, like I, I was I was gonna ask this, it doesn't fit in with the, the theme of this podcast at all, but I just want to know like it's such an undertaking to say you're going to a podcast day. I know you've done stuff via YouTube as well, you're very active on Instagram and social media, you obviously got your own business and online clients. Like, how do you manage all this around your day? Because that that's a big time undertaking to set time to do a podcast, record a podcast, edit a podcast, get a podcast up every day. Like, how do you manage all these things and bounce things around like your own training and everything else? So
0: I would say that I'm very single-minded in certain areas. So if you ask me about how to manage friendships and hobbies and all those type of things, I'm not the person to come to. I think I sacrifice a lot of my social life and everything along those lines, which I'm okay to do in order to stay on top of the things that I prioritize, such as a daily podcast, for example, and all of my training and everything along those lines as well. But what I love about undertaking these types of things, it's very similar to when you go through a diet. If someone said to you at the start, okay, you're going to be on... Couple of hours cardio a week, you're going to be on this nutrition plan and you're going to do 15,000 steps a day. You'd be like, no, I don't have the time to do that. But when it is something you've committed to, you've publicly said it. And you're like, oh, wow, what was I doing with all this time before? So I like taking on these tasks, whether it's a diet, whether it's a daily podcast, whether it's anything, because uh, it essentially sets me up testing myself, putting myself out of my comfort zone and realizing, oh, actually, I was capable of this. It just meant I have to be even more streamlined and efficient with my time. So that's what it comes down to. I'm, I'm very big on structure. I always quote or requote, I should say, Jocko Willink. How did I forget okay. that? Jocko Willink on structure creates
1: freedom. And that's why I truly really live by and believe. Yeah. And I think I think we'll probably touch on this in a second, but I I I started using that phrase a lot with my clients in terms of dieting. And I think I said this on your podcast yesterday when it comes to dieting, that the structure creates freedom, that if you if you've got more structure with your meals and you've got more structure with your training and everything during the week, that's sort of what allows you to have a little bit more on the weekend. That's all sort of, that's the person what people see is that person getting away with a few glasses of wine and like, you know, a dessert on the weekend. And what they don't see is What they've done in the week to allow that, they just go. Why could he do that, and I don't? And I think it's exactly the same. It's structured really does. Is it underpinning on what people don't see when it comes to, freedom in anything, business, life, nutrition, anything else?
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And so the structure I create within my work allows me to stay on top of my training. It allows me to go socialize if I want to and everything along those lines. And the same with my diet as well. I typically keep mine very, very simple so that when someone says, Hey, do you want to go out for a burger? I don't have to think, Oh, you know, but I had pizza yesterday and I, I had a few hundred calories on Monday. I've kept everything very simple so that I can literally go in and say, yeah, "I'm I'm free to have whatever because of, that's more favorable for me than having a few hundred extra calories in my evening meal on a weekday, for example.
1: So now going into the, you know, what we're talking about in this podcast of like the, the, the mental sort of robots of getting shape and staying in shape. Now, before we sort of delve into some of the key issues that clients have, obviously I've, no, I've known you for, I mean, how long have we known you for a good number of years, right? And I've seen mm. your physique and men, mentality towards training and dieting change over the years. And tell us a little about your training history. You said you've been training around about 12 to 14 years now. Tell us a bit about your training time in life.
0: Yeah, I think I first started from a knowledge that I was the chubby kid in school and I wasn't very happy about it. I famously tell the story of where if I was in... The PE changing rooms. I would go into a toilet cubicle to go change my t-shirt and come back out so no one would make fun of me. It didn't happen a lot. I was by no means like heavily overweight. I just had like a pudgy belly and like some small man boobs as well, and I wasn't comfortable with people picking that out. So I, I noticed it in myself. I would go change and then come back, and then eventually I don't know where I gained this insight, but I'm very pleased that my 14, 15 year old self was able to. But I was like, okay, well, let me Google how I do this. I, I observed physiques. My physique and goals were never like when you hear fitness professionals talk, they were like, I had to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or someone like that. Like, that wasn't me. I wanted to be look like David Beckham and Zac Efron. Like that was for my body physique goals. So I just literally think I took in on Google. I was like, David Beckham diet, Zach Ephron diet. And then I realized that there, everything was like pointing towards low carb and high protein. So I dived down that route. And then I saw this training, and I was like, okay. I went on Argos and I was just like, okay, let me see where these dumbbells are at. Okay, you can order some. But what I started with was... I went to my bathroom, doubled up on shampoo bottles, did like bicep curls of those, did tricep dips on the bath, like press ups on the bathroom stool. And that's where I started. Cause so I was like, well, I don't have equipment. I was very young. So I probably had to wait till a birthday until so I could pick up those dumbbells. I don't think I was at an age where I could go to a gym either. But eventually I got all those things, got to a dumbbells, got to the gym and then yeah, I fell in love with it. And then I, that was kind of where my training journey begun. And then to skip a, a huge portion probably the next three or four years just progressively got better just more so from my passion more so than anything else for training I just loved it I would you know watch YouTube videos in the anytime I could basically on training and nutrition because so I found it fascinating. And I came across the first ever men's physique show which must have happened I think it was when I was qualifying to be a personal trainer in tw- 2011, or twenty twelve I think it was and I was like oh that's cool. I think I could do that the budgie's smugglers and being half naked on the stage didn't appeal to me, but board shorts did. I was like, that's a very natural looking thing at the time when it first started. I was like, okay, I want to do men's physique, but I didn't tell anyone because I was like, how am I supposed to know if I can actually do this? And then I became a personal trainer, met a a bodybuilding coach at the time. He was like, yeah, dude, you got great shape. If you, if you work hard, then you can get there. So I kept training, kept training, ended up becoming, got into decent shape, dieted for the first time. And went and competed twice in men's physique. It was actually technically junior physique because I was young enough to get in the junior category then. And yeah, so competed for a couple of times, realized that that was quite enjoyable, but it probably wasn't the most healthiest thing I could have done for my body. Because I competed first in April, went pretty intense because I needed to get really lean, obviously. And then I held on until September to do a second show. And that period in between, upon Reflection was not wise whatsoever i should have taken some time off and returned the next season but i felt like i wasn't it wasn't that i wasn't judged fairly but i didn't feel like my showing on that first show it didn't do me justice so i was like had kind of a little bit of a i want to get back on so i can show what i've already got but then that didn't turn out to be good because of it kept me in a deficit for a long time and subsequently it didn't work out too well then obviously i transitioned to the gym that you and i worked in very skinny, very little because <laughs> I wasn't really able to pack on much size after that. And I kind of, again, this is something we'll speak about later, but I got kind of stuck on being lean and I really liked being lean, but I was about 69 kilos at the time. So it wasn't a very good look for a five foot 10 male. And then again, I, 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 worked, I when I went into the gym with you guys, I would then learn that actually my training was very bodybuilding-esque and it was very, it wasn't as aggressive as it could have been, let's say. <laughs> so I think I, I was famously told that I trained like uh, many different words that you could pick from. <laughs> and,
1: then, <laughs> and then eventually
0: it I was, just... Was, uh, that's how that
1: gym worked at that time, right? But it's good. It, it, it forced... I remember walking in there and feeling similar to yourself, like the small guy. When I walked in there, we had Eddie and Justin Maguire and like Nick was warming up, no, Daniel was warming up from a show. And like, it was just... They were monsters. And I came in this small, tiny, old, loud in nature, shy in persona sort of guy. And it's like, you're you, you forced to train hard and forced to learn. I suppose after being lean, there's probably not a better environment to encourage you to eat more because it's like, well, I need need to catch up with these guys.
0: Yeah, exactly. Except let's go down this route. And I took the opposite approach (sighs) because of, I was like, I need to gain the respect of these people. That was my thought at the time. And I was like, I know how to get lean. And then the photo shoot idea came around. So Mm -hmm. just come out of two shows, maybe like three or four months later, I was like, okay, let me dive into a photo shoot prep because I know I can get lean. I I know this is something I can do. And I know that I'm going to gain respect from the, the guys here because of, it was all about getting into photo shoot shape there. Right. So I did that and I got lean again. Like <laughs> it was probably not the right time yeah. to diet. It did earn me some respect, but then it was very hard to recover from that because of I really put my physique and my body in a, a challenging position. But then, long story short, I did heavily focus on getting my health and my well being back into a good place first. And then I think I did a two and a half year surplus. I wasn't even mentally ready to diet. So it was a combination of thinking, okay, maybe I'll get back on stage again. I definitely need to pack on some muscle and some body fat because I don't feel good. And then having a realization, a bit of epiphany when I was on a beach on holiday and realized I don't actually think I want to compete anymore. I I think I'm done with it for the time being. And I was like, I think a photo shoot would be sufficient. So I chased that, 2019 did a photo shoot. It was the first time I was able to look at my physique and go, actually, I'm pretty happy with what I see. And that was a good moment because that must've been 10 years in the making, let's say. And ever since then, I've just taken not so much of a structured route in terms of I want to gain muscle or anything like that. I've just looked to maintain, to be honest. And as my life has gone into me doing more traveling and everything like that, it leans to it. So I've mm-hmm. been able to get into a place where I can now maintain my physique quite comfortably. I'm quite happy with the way it looks, but I also know that I can put my foot on the gas at any point to pack on a little bit muscle if I need to, get a little bit leaner. So that's where we find ourselves today. Long story, mm. long.
1: No it's, no, it's interesting. It's really good. I mean, I think the, the big thing to first unpack with that, obviously, a lot of it, a lot of the issues that you said you faced during this time was based around staying particularly lean. And it seems yeah, to come a little bit from that first show of not feeling that you were judged fairly or you didn't bring what you could have done to, to the stage. I mean, yeah. how is the mental side coming off a show, both from a perspective of you've worked your ass off to be in a very subjective sport, often very biased because of the guys judging it are often coaching people on stage. From that perspective, how would you find it mentally? But also how do you find it like, it's such an all encompassing goal. I get the same thing sometimes with photo shoots where you've everything geared to this day and then you finish and it's like, you feel a bit lost. I mean, was that something you faced after coming off, off stage?
0: Yeah. And I think that's why I wanted to get back into another show. I think it was a way of deflecting the fact that I wasn't going to compete again. And it's very easy to look at this now in hindsight and analyze my thought process. But at the time I was just like, no, I want to get back on. And I don't think I was not judged fairly. I just feel like I wasn't, I was overlooked. I think that was probably a better way of saying it, but I didn't look at it from that perspective. I look at it like. This is kind of the way my mentality works. I'm like, right, I'm going to come back and be so good. They can't even ignore me anymore. And that's the kind of mentality I had. Little did I know my body wasn't prepared for that and I paid the consequences. But yeah, I think it gets very all-encompassing and it can be really hard to be able to transition out of that. And that's where whether you're coming out of a photo shoot, a show, or even just a normal diet, having some form of structure and next goal in mind, not necessarily aesthetic based, but probably more performance based is so key because then you can place your energy elsewhere. And if your goal leans towards you gaining a little bit
1: more muscle and fat, it's probably healthy for your body as well. Where do you sort of see that sort of balance? We're going to go into reverse dieting more depth a little bit later, but where do you see that balance sort of is? We've seen you in this world where we were, everything was focused very much on getting leaner with regards to personal training, social media, what people want. And it still to some degree is, but we've seen a, a push now for coaches being oh, getting lean isn't healthy and gone so far the other way. Or we've got um, Stephanie Burton talking about going all in. And obviously she went all in and I, I'm not against that idea. And I think her videos are really, really good. But it's it's such an extreme response because she dug herself so much into a hole. Like, where do you think that balance is? Because we, you will get clients that are either terrified to gain body fat back or will completely go the other way. So where, where is this middle ground, do you think? Yeah, it's all context dependent, right? And I think
0: especially with what we referred to yesterday, the answer was always somewhere in the middle. And if we look at Stephanie for competing experience and then her all-in, they're both extreme sides of the spectrum, which is why her videos might be great and they might have helped a lot of people, but I don't align with either of those approaches because of... I don't really, like I said, it, it's not going to be something you can stick with long-term. You can't just eat whatever you want, whenever you want long-term and expect to have the most optimal health. And you can't expect to have optimal health whilst being shredded and competing all the time. It's just not, it's not going to be possible in my eyes anyway. So I think you have to take it down to the individual. So I think what I'm very, very keen on making sure that my clients understand is the consequences of what their goals and the decisions they make are. If someone says, I want to get shredded, I don't want a single ounce of body fat on me, I'll take them down that route and I'm happy to. I'm not burnt by the fact that my dying experience didn't serve my health so well. I just want to make sure that what I've learned, I will let them know. So I'm like, this has consequences. This can have consequences, but because I've done this, I can now take you down a route and just make sure that we keep you as safe and healthy as possible. And I'm also going to tell you, there's a route in which you can turn around to me and we don't have to lean into our ego here. You can tell me this doesn't suit you anymore. If your goal is to get shredded, but you want to opt out at any point, totally fine. Like, mm. Don't compromise your health and don't go off the, the basis of your ego just to get to a place where it's going to compromise you in the long term. And then the same goes for the other person, on the other hand, who says, "Oh, actually, I don't want that. I just want to lose those few keys. I'm like, cool, let's go down this route. And then if you want more when we get there, let's go. If you're super happy and you're genuinely happy, not because of you're actually just fearful of doing more work and you don't know if you can actually do it, like that, that, those again this is where coaching and nuance comes into it and it, it more comes down to the context the kind of the contextual circumstance but then you just have to have that conversation find out tap into what they truly want and then align that with
1: the actions that you subsequently take so on the topic of almost like setting expectations yeah. with clients from like the history you've had with dieting you know like a lot you mentioned that almost staying lean for over, almost a year with show one show two UP photo shoot what were some of the mental and physical effects that you had that were less than favorable, let's say, through trying to stay lean? What is the, what is the warning that you would give necessarily to clients that it's, it's gone too far? So,
0: I've had like subsequent mental health challenges that I'm quite open with talking about. If you listen to my podcast or see my content, I'm not shying away from that at all. But I don't think those stemmed from dieting at all. I actually don't think, and this is quite a controversial subject as well, is that I don't genuinely believe that eating disorders are caused by extreme dieting. I think they're caused by people's dysfunctional minds in the first place, the trauma that they haven't healed. And then the competitive nature of going into a bodybuilding show or dieting to extreme levels, it just exacerbates what's already there. But it probably would have... If it didn't manifest in dieting, it might have manifested in work, gambling, alcohol. It's just that you tapped into bodybuilding, you tapped into dieting and you saw, Oh, I can get a control over here. I can control my physique and I can distract myself with this. And that's where I think that that realistically comes from. And I don't think that eating disorders uh, should be blamed for that. Dieting should be blamed for eating disorders, but that's another controversial topic in itself. Not to say that I don't think it exacerbates things because I was very kind of obsessive with my fitness powers, obsessive with making sure that I was diligent on my training and everything along those lines. So I didn't really allow much room to... Have much more life outside of that. And I think because I had the goals of competing, I think it made sense. But I probably wasn't able to let go of that once I stopped competing. And I held on to being lean when realistically, if I was my coach at the time, I would have been like, dude, you need to put some body fat on. You need to chill out a little bit. And you need to just come back bigger and stronger in the future. And so I think it took more of a toll on me physically. I definitely experienced low energy, lethargy all the time. I don't know if you remember me walking around the gym. I looked like a zombie at one point, L- like zero sex drive. Like I wouldn't even be able to tell whether you're a male or female or not. I wouldn't be even interested just like all of those kind of negative physical consequences of being so low calorie and doing too much activity. So yeah, I experienced them more from a physical perspective than the mental, but obviously if you're struggling physically, it's going to have an impact on you mentally as well.
1: If we look at things like low libido, and like low sex drive, no energy, they're often signs of low testosterone. Right? And I think if you, if you look at anyone that's taken HRT who has low testosterone, the the effects mentally are tenfold, and in terms of quality of life and energy and mood and things like this. So, but the, the one will certainly have a knock-on effect on the other. I, I kind of want to come back though. It was a light, slight tangent, but I really, I think that's a really, really important one there. A little bit like what we did yesterday with the mental health thing about like feeling that eating disorders linked to actual dieting. Because I totally agree with you on this, but I, again, my controversial take on this a little bit is that. And this may annoy some people, but like a lot of the times when people say dieting or tracking food or something like this is obsessive and causing men like eating disorders are often people that have been burnt themselves by dieting or haven't yes. been able to do it or feel that they can't do it in the right way or done a crash diet and some dumb. And because of that, they're now in a position where they struggle. They want to portray that it's, it's not my problem. It's not something I need to work on. It's your problem. And like, What's your take on the backlash on calories being on restaurant menus, because I generally think it, it, I, I I empathize with anyone that goes to an eating disorder, but generally if we look at how many people die of eating disorders per year compared to how many people die of obesity related illnesses there's a much bigger drive to have calorie control as a forefront in our minds than it is of avoiding it for the person who is potentially struggling in the other direction but what is your take on things like that so that's be with. That
0: yeah it's a, it's a tough one because obviously we can't begin to comprehend what someone who's going for an eating disorder is experiencing and hopefully they're getting the help from specialists that they need and I think once they do get to that place I think having the calories there will probably be favorable in the future so to take a step back, I think awareness is key. And I think just to, the reality is, is that all food has calories in it, whether you want to believe it or not, whether you want to see the number next to the dish or not, it's still got calories. So I, like you said, I think it's better that we all have this awareness than when we don't. And like I said, once that person has worked through the challenges that they've had, I would like to think they get to a place where whether the calories are there or not, they don't care. And yes, it might be tough for people in the moment, but that's like saying, well, let's remove all of the quote unquote junk food from the supermarkets. Let's make sure there's no desserts in a restaurant. And I think the calorie number might might trigger something for sure. But even just saying deep fried steak or deep fried chicken will probably have the same impact on that person. I'll see fried and it will automatically make that link anyway. So I think that for the sake of just shielding people who are having challenges with the numbers, I I don't think it outweighs the benefit of bringing awareness to people who look at it and be like, whoa, that cheesecake has a thousand calories in it. And it shouldn't get make people think, oh, I shouldn't have that. But it might make people think, maybe I should share this cheesecake. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to start thinking. So yeah, I don't think we should be shielding information that's factual for the sake of the benefits that like a certain minority group are going to gain. I, I think it's Worth making sure that everyone is aware of that.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree more with that. It's like, it, there, there's so, so much of a bigger issue of making for of obesity and beast related illness. We need to bring awareness to that. And it's one of those things where we, we try and shelter people so much now. It's like you don't have to look at the calorie content. You could probably have a menu without it. Like, don't yeah. look at it if it causes you an issue. And I, it's, it's, it's never my fitness, but my fitness pal didn't cause you eating disorder. As you said earlier, the mentality was there it's the approach you use and it's not the the app that caused you the issue or the menu that caused you the issue. Because there's so many other people who look at that same thing and don't have that same thing. Looking back now, like going into sort of like you've been saying your goal, flashy sort of maintenance. Why is it you feel you went into shows and shoots? Do you still feel that they're important deadline for clients wanting to get in shape? And if so, why? I don't actually think they're essential. I have a
0: lot of clients who don't do shoots or shows these days and I I actually don't even encourage people to do it. If they express an interest, then I love taking them through that process. But I'm not one of these companies and I know there are a lot out there who the pride and joy is getting to that photo shoot moment. And I don't actually think that that essential I've now taken so many people through transformations who just have self-imposed deadlines that we created for them, whether it's based on a certain occasion or whether it's just based on we've been dieting for X amount of weeks, You're this close to where we perceived you to be. Let's set a little timeline on these final couple of kilos and let's wrap this up and let's take a few nice photos. But I think there's many benefits to a photo shoot and this isn't me downplaying them. I think they're fantastic, but I see them as the cherry on top of the cake. The cake is still there and still delicious. You want to add that cherry on top. Amazing. But I don't actually necessarily think it's essential by any means.
1: So going into a little bit of the actual specifics, and we'll start with like actual during the diet itself, like working, you mentioned about working with your clients and getting people in shape with this for shoot or for this and just in general in life, what do you feel like the biggest mental roadblocks are when people embark on a diet? What's the sticking points that stop them even before they even get started or during the process? Yeah, I think a big one is something we
0: touched on in the podcast we did together yesterday, which is self-belief. I asked people usually, okay, what do you want to achieve? And then they gave me this answer. It's It's reserved. And then there's the real answer, and I'm like, no. Let's imagine there's no limitations. You let me t- tell me about your dream physique here, and then you usually get the real answer of what they actually want. They just don't know if they can actually get there, and that makes sense because if you said to me, that's something that's foreign to me, maybe coding for example. If you said, okay, how much do you want to be able to code? I don't even know what terms to use, right? Now, yeah. I just want to be a, a competent coder. I would say maybe that would be my goal. But they were like, what well, your dreams are. I Want to write code for huge tech companies and I want to be able to be an expert at this. Like that might be my real goal, but I'm not going to say that because I have no idea. And mm-hmm. I think that's the position most of our clients come to us with. So they might not, they or they might have even tried that. Like, let's say I tried coding, but I've actually failed at it like five times. Or in my eyes, I failed, but I've just not had the type of success that I want to. So a lot of clients come to us with that. They might have tried dieting four or five times and not been that successful. So by the nature of not succeeding in what they wanted, they've kind of just brought their goals down and down and down. So I want to open them up to say, okay, actually, genuinely, what do you want to achieve? Because as I said to you yesterday, is that a good coach should be able to see your potential far better than you should in this given domain. So I tell everyone, and this is why I'm quite excited about working with people still, is that I see way more for you than you see for yourself at this moment in time, because I know what's possible. And I've seen so many people go through this experience now. And I know that, It's not like building a business. Like I can't guarantee you a six-figure business, but I can guarantee you the best shape you've ever been in as long as you do as you've told. Because we know that it's physiology, it's science. It has to work, right? So I think self-belief is the first one. And I think I want to go deeper into during the journey now is our job as a coach. I think you said this yesterday is that 90% of the goal of ours is to make sure that we eliminate excuses. I look at it as 90% of our job is to make sure that people stay the course, right? Mm-hmm. Is to actually make sure that the diet plan and the nutrition plan is all irrelevant if they can't make it past week nine or week 12. So realistically, our job is to facilitate people getting to where they want to be before they give up, before they give in, before they get too tired of dieting or training so frequently. So I think one of the biggest mental blocks is just giving up and not having belief halfway through as well. So I think our job as a coach to facilitate them is so, so key. So I'd say, yeah, self-belief, and essentially just giving up too early are two of the big things that I see that hamper people's
1: chances. With the with the giving up thing, I think that's really, really interesting. Do you, do you tend to find that the mentality changes at different points of the journey as sort of priority change and their confidence and self-belief change? Because I always tend to find that there's this, it's a different way you motivate someone to lose the first 10 kilos as it is to lose the last 10 kilos. Like when, when someone starts a process, they are motivated by looking in the mirror every day and feeling this. I don't want to look like this. And then over time, they're like, I look fine. I look good in clothes. I can, I can look down the shower and see my nether regions. I feel fine. But that's, that's a lot of work. So like, how, do you, how does your coaching change from the early stages to this maybe middle point where people tend to drop off to keep them going? Yeah, it's a great point because of, this is a,
0: a really, really challenging position to navigate. Because like you said, it's very easy to run away from the fire that's behind you. You, It's very easy to get away from that. But it's not easy to run to potentially where you want to be. right? So if you wake up every morning, you you really don't like what you see and you feel terrible, you want to get out of that position. There's a lot of motivation. There's a lot of incentive to get there. But to then get to a place where you're like, watch well, actually, I'm semi-comfortable here and still push forward. I think that requires a lot of mental strength. And for anyone who's done that, I give huge props to as well. Because this is a stage where the compliments can't start coming in. People say, oh, you've, you've lost some good amount of weight. Just just relax a little bit. And this kills me. Like, honestly, it really drives me nuts when this person, it wasn't their goal to stop at 10 kilos. And this is not my goal. This is their. They told me I want to lose 15. I want to lose 20. I don't want to ever slip back to where I was. And I'm like, dude, you're only seven kilos away from where you were it's not that far away from where we came you've come a great long way but it's it's not far from where you just got it's a quicker road back than it was to get here so just be aware of that that they start they they enjoy life they get caught up in it and then they come back and that's kind of why my goal is to get people to where they genuinely want to be teach them how to stay there because of, I'm sick of people getting to halfway, slipping back, and then us having to redo all the, all the work again, right? And it's, it's one of those things that actually just generally drives me nuts when people listen to their friends and their family about, oh, you, you've lost plenty of If they're genuinely content and happy, totally fine. And that's because if they're genuinely, genuinely like, I'm feeling myself. I only wanted to be feel comfortable with my clothes again. Totally fine. If you told me at the start, you wanted abs and you still want abs, but it's these the socials and these nice compliments that get into your head a little bit, Yeah, that's a bit of a frustrating element. So with that being said, you do have to coach them in a different way. Because if they're no longer running away from what they don't want to be, they're now moving towards who they can be. And that's not easy to achieve. So I think you have to really change the way that you motivate them, to be honest. And change the reason... Change the way they motivate themselves because of... Yeah, if their why initially was just to get away from who they didn't want to be, then we need to evolve that. We need to talk about, okay, well... What, what's the bigger implication of this? Let's talk about essentially where you don't want to go back to and make sure there's no chance of that. Let's think about, okay, 10 kilos might be good now, but what about in 20, 30 years time when you want to you know see your grandchildren grow up and all this type of stuff? So we start mo- motivating in, in new ways and we start evolving that why a little bit more. But it, it's a tough one because of, they've done a long stretch. So let's again, to give another example, I've got a client at the moment, his journey is going to be 30 to 40 kilos or something along those lines, or probably 20 to 30. And he's maybe lost like 20, 30 already. And he's still got like 10, 15 to go. Mm -hmm. And I I had to say to him, I was like, this point is like that long stretch on the motorway. There's nothing exciting going on. You've just got to keep your foot on the gas, stay focused on the road. If we need to pull over to a service station now and again, totally fine. But we just got to keep that foot down. You're not doing anything different. You've just got to tick these boxes week on week, get those 1% drops, and then eventually, when you do that, and that might be months on end, then we start to change things a little bit as you start to approach your destination. But that long stretch on the motorway is very hard for people to navigate because it's not very exciting at all.
1: That's a really, really good analogy in terms of using a long stretch of the motorway. And I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up because it's, it's frustratingly common. I would say 60 to 70% of clients will have exactly this, where They'll sit there and they'll great first 5-10 kilos and then they'll just sort of stagnate. And, it, and, and, and I, I, I brought it up yesterday in terms of like the biggest problem with, with people not getting a shape like from a less of a mental standpoint, but it is, it's all in. It's tracking errors, right? It's, it's, people don't get broke because they bought too many Rolexes one week. It's, it, they, they get too many deliveries. They got too many Starbucks coffees. They won't spend the money that way. It's the same thing where in their head, they're yeah, I'm doing it. But they're sort of doing it. And that fire's gone and that attention to detail's gone. And it's it's not that they they often get frustrated because I'm not seeing results and I'm doing the same, but you're not doing the same. And that's like, it's often a very difficult thing to to coach out once it's there, because it's like, they're so ingrained in, in, in thinking they're doing the right thing that they don't actually, aren't actually aware where those calories are sort of sneaking in. The other thing I think was frustrating about that, as you said earlier on, is about how it's so often linked to other people's comments. Mm -hmm. and it's great because a lot of people don't mean to be condescending and to pull people off their goals they might generally have the best intention of mind but it does say a lot about the the psyche of people subconsciously when they sort of like it showcases what they're not doing when someone else is doing well and the comments start coming in like how do you battle that with clients how do you get clients ready, aware, prepared to not let those things sink in. Because we all know when someone says something, it sets us off and it's an emotional response. But what is an emotional response to me may not be an emotional response to you. So like, how do you tackle that with client to client?
0: Yeah. As I've experienced this so much now, I genuinely warn my clients very, very early on. Mm-hmm. I even can speak about this sometimes in our initial consultation call. I'm going to say, people will change the way they look at you. They'll make comments. You may or may not like them, especially if they tell me that they're... still pay attention to living with family members or they visit their in-laws a lot and everything along those lines. I'm very, very open and honest to say that you're probably going to experience this at some stage. And I plant that seed early so that they're aware of it when it comes. And then I think the main thing that I went through, and I think I'm not sure what the podcast name was when I did this on my show, but I said that basically the best thing you can do here is remember who that person is. So I said, and use the analogy as you guys are probably going to pick up, I like to use a lot of is that you don't go to your dentist and ask them financial advice. You don't go to your plumber and ask them for, let's say, a haircut, right? And you choose specific people for the specific needs in your life. So I said, when it comes to your health and fitness journey, pick two or three people who you're going to lean on. And those are going to be the only people you take advice from or take their comments seriously. So your coach... Maybe your partner, if you know they're incredibly supportive, and maybe a friend who's on a similar journey. But outside of these three people, you accept the comments, you maybe take the compliments on board and you politely disregard any of the other comments that aren't too favorable. But outside of these three people, you don't take any advice from people like that. You don't go to, yeah, you don't go to the person who's overweight and ask them for health and fitness advice. You don't go to the person who's broke for financial advice. So, and most of the time, these people, these questions, these comments come from people who are not in a good position with the certain thing that you're trying to achieve. So I'm like, pick those three people outside of that circle. You don't listen to anyone about the comments on your physique or on your goals or anything along those lines. Because if you start inviting in comments from just about everyone, you listen to just about everyone, it's going to be
1: conflicting in your mind and you're going to lose sight. Totally agree. Going back to your first point about self-belief now. And like... When it comes to trying to find a client's true why, or helping a client actually discover, because we, we spoke about this a little bit yesterday as well, that some people don't really know what their why is. So like, how do you start to work with clients to actually uncover what their potential is and what their true driver actually is in this that, that makes them have that belief or in turn gives them something that makes today a bit more valuable? Yeah,
0: I completely agree with that. It is quite hard for some people to find their why. It might be easy for them to give you a reason. And I find that you have to do a process of kind of peeling back the layers. And some people are more revelatory than others. And it's great when someone does reveal their true intentions. But then you ask first, okay, I just want to get a little bit healthier. Okay, why do you want to get a little bit healthier? Oh, well, I just feel a little bit slow. I I don't feel that great in myself. Okay, so why do you feel a bit slow? Why do you feel great in yourself? Okay, yeah, but you know maybe I'm not eating so well the other day my colleague in the office they commented on my weight okay let's dive a little bit deeper so you're actually feeling quite self-conscious from that colleague said so actually you want to go and prove that colleague wrong you want to show up into the office you are? Let's say the CEO, for example, but people don't respect you as much as you could because if they see that you're overweight and your nutritional habits are bad and you can't get control of that. So then we've dug deep and initially it was like, I just want to get a bit healthy. And now it's like, well, that colleague's comment really bothered me and I don't think I'm getting the respect I deserve because I'm overweight and I've got control in all these other areas of my life. I'm a successful CEO, but I can't nail my nutrition training and that damages my self-belief and my self-confidence. So once you're like, oh, well, actually you, you just told me you just want to be a bit healthier. It's not the reason. It never is, right? It, there's always much more to it. So I think it's really important to just question people and get them to dig back the layers. And also, don't be worried if it's a vain goal either. Or I don't even want to use vain because I don't think it is vain to want to be in shape. It got me started. I didn't want to be made fun of and I wanted to look good. I wanted to be appealing to other people. Right? That's a totally okay reason to start. If it gets you moving in the right direction, great. Now mine's evolved into something that's more, let's say, selfless. However, if I started by saying, yeah, I want to be healthy because I want to be a good example for others... I wouldn't have been motivated to even get myself to the gym, But because I knew I wanted abs, I didn't want to be made fun of in the changing rooms. I got myself to do it. So exactly. when people come to me and they're like, oh, my kids, they mean so much to me. I want to do it for them. But actually, they're just like, well, actually, I want to look a little bit better on the beach and I want my partner to find me more attractive. Run with that. It doesn't matter if your goal isn't like grandiose and selfless. It might get there, but do what fires you up. So I think the first step is to dig deep. And then actually give yourself permission to actually want what you want and be motivated by what it truly is. Because it might, it might be harsh to say, but doing it for your kids might not motivate you that much. But when your partner, when you take your shirt off at the end of the day, and your partner's giving you a little bit of a look out the corner of her eye, that might be the thing that actually gets you to the gym in the morning and gets you to eat the food that you, you should do to get in shape. So, yeah, I think that's a key one. And then also, just to touch on another aspect, is be aware of it evolving as well. And I think this is a key in this, like, like kind of what I mentioned in terms of motivating on for the second 10 kilos in the first, is that that might have motivated you first, but now your cut partner's now complimenting you. And that 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 pain is reduced and it's almost gone. So now we need to look towards something else and just be aware that your why will evolve and it will change. So if you keep working off the premise, oh, it's about my partner and I want them to find me attractive, but now they can't take their hands off you, It's not going to be as motivating. So we just got to find different places to place our energy and and create links as well. I'm going to go off on one more tangent and create links. And I said this in a podcast literally two days ago as well. I'm like, you might not think that every time you're doing a set of walk-in lunges, that's setting you up for success in the future and allowing you to walk your daughter down the aisle, to run around the garden and your grandkids. But literally every single training session you do is facilitating that happening. So if you can create that link, like you can say, well, actually... Exercise isn't just about being in pain, making me sweaty and making me tired. It's actually about allowing me to run up and off the stairs after my kids or walk my daughter down the aisle one day. They're both true. but If you perceive it in the way that's actually facilitating something that you truly, truly want, it's going to be far more motivating than just getting yourself sweaty and tired at a gym.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I very much, one of the, the phrases I, I try and live by is how you do one thing is how you do everything. So you used the very All interesting thing because I don't like that phrase. I love, I, I kind of love it. I'm last Why you don't in a second. But I, I think when it comes to dieting and the things you do for dieting, I like that phrase in the sense of you use quite a literal example of your walking lunges might help you run around and walk your daughter down the aisle, which is great. But it's, I think also like that set of walking lunges, Teach you how to do something when you don't want to do it. That teach you graft, that teaches you work ethic, which even though it's not directly linked, will allow you when you want everything is saying, I want that chocolate bar, but I've got this goal that's bigger. The set of walking lunges has primed your brain to go, do you know what? I can do tough stuff. I can put it down. And I think that's that that there's an, an art of training hard, whether it's yourself or whether it's training clients hard, like watching Umar train clients, right? Umar, and, and you, you can probably say the same thing about me to a degree as well, right? Was not the best admin. He wasn't the touch point guy in terms of messaging clients all day. And I can say this because neither am I, but training people hard and getting people to love training allow these clients to want to go and do the stuff. It taught them work ethic. And I think that's that's so... Important when it comes to this. is like how there's this carryovers from inside the gym to outside the gym that do really, really help you. I think it wastes a lot of energy.
0: I think everyone then gets overwhelmed by the amount that they have to do really well. And I think that quite often, and we spoke about this yesterday on focusing on strengths versus weaknesses. Like, I don't care if I'm the world's best dishwasher. I care if I'm the world's best coach or person that I could possibly be. And if I spend my time trying to make sure all my T's are crossed and my I's are dotted in other areas of my life, that's probably going to take a little bit of energy away from me. And it might actually make me trying to be a perfectionist in all other areas. And we know that when we try and be a perfectionist in all other areas, it's it's not a feasible pursuit and actually will lead to a lot of anxiety and overwhelm, to be honest. So I think that it's about accepting in some areas, I'm not going to do everything to perfection, but as long as I can do it incompetently, then great. And then when I really want to be Focusing my energy and being as perfect as possible, and certain there, that's where I channel my energy. So I think it it can have the potential to overwhelm people with how much they have to do and how
1: well they have to do it. That's really interesting. And I think that brings us on nicely to something that I think is, is affects a lot of people, and that is and I'm going to put these two into one. Had them as two separate points, but I'm putting them to one. It's exactly the same. It's like the all or nothing mentality, or perfectionism when it comes to starting dieting. How often do you find that? And how do you work around that yourself? And how do you work around that with with clients that come and see you? Yeah, the all or nothing mentality is
0: something of the modern era that we live in, right? I think it's getting better because there's more of a lean towards self-care and self-love and all of that type of stuff. So there's this integration of balance. But I think, especially when you and I used to train people in London, where everyone was like, work 100% and then crash on the weekend and then just live for their holidays but go hard when they were working. And they took that mentality into everything that they did. And I think you know, London is a city of all or nothing people. And I don't know what it looks like these days, but it very much was when I was training people. But when it comes to longevity, the all or nothing mentality will not work because the all or nothing mentality also ties in with perfection. And you, as we both know, you can't be perfect on you have and fitness forever. And you can't go all in because what's the opposite of going all in? It's being nothing, right? So you can't have that extreme on the other side because you're just going to be going through dips and waves. And I always tell this to people, I'm like, if you can leverage your all or nothing mentality in a fat loss phase, by all means, go for it. And that might serve you, but you can't do that once you get into long-term, long-term maintenance, long-term anything when it comes to your health and fitness. It's, it's just not a feasible goal because of there will be a time where you slip up. And if that turns you towards doing nothing and then being all out for like a week or two, you're going to be back at square one again.
1: I, I, I always think with that as well, it's, it's, one of the things I try and drill into everybody coming on board, because the all or nothing mentality tends to get big. The biggest issue I tend to have with it is that people tend to hide from the things that actually need the most support. And I always try to encourage, just like, when I get new cancer boards, I set a process called like, 10 consecutive checkers. And I make a point. I don't care what your week has been like, but you always check in. And because you what you tend to see with people who have this sort of mentality is like, on the, they'll, they'll miss a check and go, hey, man, like, no checking this week. And either they won't reply to you at all. And that's when you start to lose and you just drop off because you've had a bad week and they go, well, I'm not going to speak to me. And I'm ashamed of myself. And that's yeah. worse than online coaching because you can't, you're not, you're not waiting for They've got 10 a.m. on Friday booked in. I'll see them then. It's, they can just stop replying to messages. But uh, like also, the, you find that, you know, the, what people will do, they go, oh, I haven't checked in this week because I didn't have a good week, but I'm back on it now. I'm like, now you've just missed an opportunity to delve in and find out one of the things that stopped you being in shape. It's those things that you've now just ignored and hid from that are the reason you started this process in the first place. You know, it's never... I, I never... like That person's... 20 kilos overweight didn't get to being 20 kilos overweight because there was something wrong in those good weeks that they did once every four. It, it's it's the, it's the it's the issues that come up on the bad weeks. It's the, oh, I can't say no on social occasions or my, my partner wants to take out or I, 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 cr- I crash in the end of the day. Like Those are the things I want to know. Those are the times where check-ins are valuable. And I think that, that's where it comes up with all the mentalities where accountability, finding somebody becomes so important. And Being okay to fail forward is something I often explain to people as well, because it's like, this isn't gonna, you're never gonna have a perfect 12 week run. Physically impossible. I've never had one. I've just gone through a diet where I got very, very, very lean for a photo shoot, and I've had two party boats, I've moved flats, you know, flat ribs sold, the various other stuff going on in that time. I could have easily just gone, nah, it's ruined. I can't, I can't be perfect with diet. But like, There's always a best option. But that it's like, I, I see it all the times that people use an all or nothing mentality. And I don't know if you find that to justify a bad behavior. So like when it comes to like how you set up your business and coaching, like how would you create these accountability channels with your clients to help them? whether it's this or other things to keep them in that good headspace?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. And to your point, I think, It's worth reminding people that the check-ins are better on the weeks that you don't do well than they are the weeks that you do well. You're going to learn far more. And the beauty of online coaching, this is actually something where I think it's a lot better than personal training. I think there's pros and cons to both. But you physically have to write down and reflect on your week. And when you're writing it down, it also serves as a bit of a journal entry and a little bit of a self-reflection. And the one question I've got at the end of um, the check in that once in my, one of my clients pointed out once, he was like, I get to the end of the check in and I kind of tell myself what I need to do for this week. Cause I say, where do you feel like you need to focus on this week to have a better week than the last? And <coughs> they kind of answer their own check in in the final one. They're like, okay, well, this is what I need to focus on. And so I love the fact that they can reflect on that. And I think that's the key missing piece of the puzzle in life in general is that we just don't reflect enough. And when we do stop and we identify and reflect on our behaviors, then we can actually create a route to being better. But like I said, people do hide behind this. And I get that as well. And I read it in a book recently with someone who was going to therapy on a regular basis, but she couldn't quite get the gains of therapy to stick. And she was like, it almost just seems like I have a witness to my failure. And I was like, oh, I get that. Because yeah. that's what people, yeah, that's what people might think when they're checking in on a bad week. And I think someone's just seeing me fail over and over again. And hiding from it is easier. You know, me saying, oh, I forgot to check in or I didn't have a time. It's better than earlier thinking, oh, he didn't do well again. But I think that's really important to let them know that I say this to the start of the process for many of my class. I'm like, we're a team. Like My sole purpose is to get you to where you want to be. And like I don't have any other goal than to get you there. I'm not going to give you any backlash for a tough week. If I can see that you're completely disregarding everything I'm saying, you're being negligent and you're not actually focusing, you just don't care... Different story, but I don't tend to attract those type of people into my business. These people genuinely care. They genuinely have purpose to this. It's not like in the past. I'll tell you a funny story. Actually, I was in a was personal training in the early stages. I personally trained in Oxford where there was a lot of university kids and their parents would pay for personal training, which was great for me and my business, of course. But it meant you had a lot of clients who didn't really care. They just, their parents just paid for it because if they were going to a gym and it made sense for their kids to have a personal trainer, I had this one guy, I can laugh at it now, but he was literally eating a McDonald's before our session in the gym, in the gym, just around the corner. I come up to him. I was like, what are you doing? He was like, I was hungry. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to give a little less of my energy to you (laughs) because of you clearly don't care. But most people do. And I think if they understand that, yeah, we're a team, we're working together. I need to know these things because then I can help you. And I'm also not afraid of digging deeper because quite often a lot of these are hiding behind insecurities, things that were conditioned at a very, very young age. And because I've dug into that stuff with myself, I'm not scared to do it with others now. In the past, if someone says, I'm about to cry, I'd be like, can you please cry on someone else's shoulder because I don't want to handle that emotional overwhelm. These days, I'm like, bring it in. Come on. Mm -hmm. like "Let's, Let's explore this together, even if it's painful. And I trust that they are capable of doing that. And I think you said this earlier is that we're too easy to hide the reality from people to protect them. I like to think that my clients and the people who potentially listen to my podcast as well, they can handle the truth. They can handle getting that hard truth and dealing with it. And they might not be ready for it at the time, but at least it plants the seed. And -hmm. I think that's really important not to shield people from reality, but to actually allow them to have the truth and trust they have the capacity to handle that and deal with it accordingly.
1: I think it's a very important skill of being able to how to have conversation with people and tell them what they need to hear sometimes over what they want to hear. And exactly. like my my job has allowed me to mentor many coaches. And it's like you see with clients, right? You see trends. And I see I see trends in coaches that can't have those tough conversations, that want to just be their friends and their clients. And that's the thing that I still find that those coaches don't get results. With the clients, hands down, nearly always. Not, and the, the thing I always say to the you know people is like for those trainers that you know, the trainers to this or whatever that are worried about the clients not liking them, I always say nothing will make a client dislike you more than them feeling that you've wasted their time and their money. If they feel that like regardless of how nice you are, if they feel like they've wasted their money and their time, they will dislike you. I, I, have, I have no coaches. They're a bit more dual sergeant, maybe too much so in some extent, but they've gotten the result. They've pushed them to where they need to be. And they may not have liked them at various moments. They always like them afterwards. Always, without fail. No, you know what? I've never heard a client who got in the best shape of their life, and thought amazing, go, yeah, I wouldn't recommend them. He's a horrible man. Being paid to get them a the result. And that doesn't mean to
0: say that you can't be their friend. And I, I'm, I'm great friends with a lot of my clients, but first and foremost, they know that I'm their coach. Yes. And if those, and, I, and it's taken me time to get there for sure. And I think the lines have been blurred in the past. I'd confidently say that anyone on my roster right now, they know that I am going to be their friend. I'll go for a coffee with them, but I'm coach first. It
1: doesn't matter how close we get. I think that's a really important distinction to make. Yeah, very much so. So transitioning a little bit into post dieting. And that's one thing I want to mention You mentioned recently with your last diet being one of the easiest you've ever done because you were so close. To your um, like end weight, and you mentioned obviously earlier in this podcast about maintaining weight being your goal over last year, last like year or so. How important do you feel it is to maintain close to your best physique year round? Like, why not do a diet, get fat diet again? Why not go through the bulk and cut cycles?
0: Don't get me wrong. You can. You're more than welcome to if you want to, but it's a lot of work to get back to where you want to be again. I think it's about having that long-term vision. And that's not to say that I didn't do this in the past, but I had, when you're a teenager and you're in your very early 20s, you have, you have a lot of things on your side, right? So you can go through those things. And I've been definitely fatter than I should have been in the past. And been like I've been 93 kilos when it was very early stages of my career. And I had no business being there. (laughs) I was a very round 93 kilos. I've been 93 kilos again later in my career. And I was like, okay, well, that first time I was 93 kilos, I definitely shouldn't have been there. And it's just, it's more work in the long run. So I think most people's long-term goal is to be somewhat lean and in shape. And I'm not saying abs, I'm not saying skinny or thin or whatever it is, but it's to be streamlined, just to have maybe a flat stomach, whatever that looks like for you. So if that's your long-term goal, then really is is getting super overweight for just the sake of just just for the sake of it really worthwhile task and I don't think so because of you're going to have to undo that all that all that fat gain that you've put on because of, of ultimately your goal is to get back to where it is and I think there's a certain amount of fat you want to put on if you want to gain muscle I think that's inevitable in a calorie surplus so if your goal is to get as huge and as strong as possible more rationale but if your goal is not and actually for most people like who we work with, who are just people who aren't obsessed with bodybuilding or training or anything like that. They're just people in normal families and normal hobbies and lives outside the gym. Their goal isn't to get super round in the times where they're not dieting. So I think staying close, not super close, but that's going to be person-dependent again. It's just going to be favorable to your long-term goals because realistically, I don't see many people with the long-term goal of not being somewhat
1: lean. So delving in to go from that point where someone's dieted through to that maintenance sort of phase. I've always uh, affirmed believe in, in the phrase, and I don't remember who said this, it might have even been Nathan, but like we don't have a weight loss problem in the Western world, we have a weight management problem. So like what is your opinion on why so many people struggle to maintain their weight after a diet? Yeah, I think Lane Norton has been going down that route at the moment as
0: well. And I think the main issue, and this is part and parcel of what the company I'm, I've created is trying to solve is that we get to the end of our dieting phase. And in the past, it's been all about getting to that place. So I think the general trend, especially with the, the transformation studios, we've worked with in the past and there's plenty of other, other ones out there. The goal is to get you 6-12 to week transformation and get you abs. But there's not really an emphasis on the after side of things. And the same goes to the industry as well. It has been all about getting to beach lane, getting to photo shoot ready, getting abs. And no one's really paid any notice to the aftercare or anything along those lines. There's a gradual shift that's coming in place with a reverse diet. So now we focus on the getting to the goal, then maybe we focus a little bit on reverse diet. But then there's this whole other aspect. And I think this is the fundamental shift that the industry needs to take now is that, okay, what about the rest of life? Because if no one's goal is to just get in shape for the holiday or to get in shape for the wedding, they say that because if they think, they don't know there's any other way to stay in shape long-term. So they say, yeah, I just want to be in shape for this holiday. But I heard actually Jamie Alderson, I don't really listen to much of his content, but he did say one thing. He said, if everyone on this world could have abs and it didn't require any effort, they would have it. So, everyone wants to be in a position where they're best shape of their lives so or have abs. They just don't, they're not able to maintain what they've got if they've got it in the first place. Well, they just don't think it's possible. They just don't think there's a way of doing it. Yet. So, with that being said, I think the key to success, what I've seen is that your coaching process, when it gets into that position, needs to be a journey of giving them those, those tools. It's a coaching, but it's also education along the way. And I like to think we tie education, accountability, and those two things together and then give a sense of self-sufficiency over their journey as well. So they know exactly what they're doing. So by the time they get to their checkpoint, they know why they're eating the foods they want. They know why they're doing this certain amount of training. And then we take them through a structured reverse diet, which I'm sure we'll touch in just a moment. And the end goal with all of the clients I work with is once they get to their goal and they're able to be in a position where they can sustain it, it's to be like... Thanks, Elliot. I'm good. Here's three friends I want to refer to you and I'm going to be on my way. I want people to stay with us only if they want to, but not because they need to. And I think that those learnings have to come in a fat loss phase, in the reverse diet, and you need to make sure you leave them in a place where they, they can tell you, I'm on a comfortable amount of activity. I'm on a comfortable amount of calories. I'm not hyper-focused. on tracking all the scales. That's the point in which I can say, you're good to go. Go, go spread your wings.
1: I, I, th- I think education does become a, a fundamental part of this. I want to delve into something you mentioned at the start here. It's almost about like not having a deadline. Like everything's like, I'm getting in shape for X holiday or X photo shoot or something like this. And and we we spoke about it earlier in, in, in your story about like when you get to the end of that deadline and you almost feel a little bit lost and then all of a sudden there's nothing wrong with having that extra dessert or that cookie. Um, but at the same time, you know, and we'll go into some more later about you know you want to find that balance, but you also don't want to lose your condition too much. So how do you work around not having a deadline? What goals do you then set? How do you shift people away from a maybe a physique focused into more of a maintenance focused?
0: So I think the key first is to make sure that they might have a like a goal in mind, like I might want to be in shape for X, Y, or Z occasion, but we take the emphasis off that and make the goal the lifestyle they want to lead afterwards. I think that's really, really key because if that is the goal, it's it's the 20 years subsequently that they want to live with great health, good physique, good immunity, and good quality of life. So that's the first thing. So we already take away the emphasis from it being one big occasion. The second step in terms of actually getting there is we're still going to put timelines on there. But I'm still going to say, okay, if you've got 15 kilos to lose, it's going to be about 1% per week. This is where I can expect you to be by 6 weeks. This is where I can expect you to be by 12 weeks. This is where I can expect you to be by 18 weeks. So we're still putting timeframes on there because I think it it's good to create a little sense of urgency. And it also gives people a bit of a, a map for their journey, right? And they know where they're going to be at certain points. And that can be very motivating as well. But I think then that's that's what's going to give them motivation in the short term. And then when you get to a point in which they're yeah, ever closer to their goals, I do think putting timelines on there is important but it's just not having one concrete date. if circumstances change along the way and we have to stretch out one of these mini deadlines then so be it and i think just not being tied religiously to one certain set date allows people a little bit more freedom and yes it can be challenging because sometimes it can allow complacency to slip in so you've just got to know when to bend a little bit but also still have that firm amount of structure and idea of when things are going to be
1: wrapping up in mind One of the things I think has really helped me in terms of coaching clients through this and maybe even myself going through this one is actually when I got a conversation on this podcast with uh, Kevin Hall an old mentor of mine and he's he's, become a phenomenal coach. He already was when I was working with him but obviously I don't want to take credit. He's become better and better and better every single year and one of the things he, he taught me in that podcast is like when he looks at someone coming into a muscle building phase or a lifestyle phase or a reverse diet, it's like, I base my nutritional changes now off performance and training and less off body weight. So, like we want people to take their body weight so they keep aware of it. But the thing with a diet that often makes people freak out either wanting to stay too lean or stop taking it because they of outside out of mind. But you have aware of it. So when things dial, need to be dialed back in, but we don't want your own focus. When your diet things like Every focus is, I need to be 1% lean, I need to 1% lean. Whereas if you're doing that, on a, on coming out of that, building muscle, it's one, it's a much slower process. And two, you're almost hiding all the work you're doing as you're doing. So you can't actually yeah. see your progress. Now, shifting that focus into the, a gym performance. Like, well, wow, I want you to hit these numbers. I want you to work on this skill. I want you to get better at this. It gets them to love, the love for training and that becomes a habit. But then we can look at this and go, okay, we've noticed that you're bench press or deadlift numbers aren't going up, we're going to increase food. You've also kept an eye on their check-in to see, is the weight still going up? But like the focus is now shifted onto the performance, which I think is really, really important Like from how we change this as a coach's perspective, because it's like, oh, we can look at the gym stats more intensely in that check-in process than we did before, because now we're not as focused on what's the scale weight doing, what's your circumference measurement around your waist doing. As long as it's not getting stupid, I don't really care.
0: Yeah. I can agree with that. I can especially if your goal is in the muscle building phase as well. And if you are particularly tied to your numbers on the scale, which most people are post diet, I think it's, it's, it's a strong way to go. And again, as long as you're keeping an eye on it and you're not leaving them to their own devices, I think you're absolutely fine. And if people are left to their own devices, I just give them parameters. I'm like, okay, well, I'm 55 kilos. It's quite heavy for you. 52 is a good place to be so let's stay within 52 to 54 kilos and if you're getting close to that 54 mark that might be a time to rein it in but you don't need to track every day just step on the scales maybe one week out of the month do three weigh-ins just to get a good collection of data closer you are to the number that you want to be you're doing good if you're if you're kind of closer to that threshold might be time to just rein things in a little bit but the one thing i sort of wanted to talk about here like
1: it, it, we, we can go about how we reverse diet, but that's a whole other podcast itself rather than actually looking at the mental roadblocks of it. But one of the things I kind of want to discuss to you about reverse dieting, and this is something I've been thinking about quite a lot in my reverse diet. So I've gone for a very almost semi-gradual reverse diet. Like I went up 300, 400 calories, and then we're going up like 20, 40 grams of carbs a week sort of thing. So it's quite gradual. And what I, I sometimes, at the knife of the time, I'm bang on that. And I've noticed some days I've gone a little bit over, I've added a little bit in there because I'm not dieting, right? And I don't have to worry about it too much. And I, I sit down and go, I wonder how much leeway within this calorie threshold do I actually have? Like how much is, have things physically downregulated to the point where I don't have as much leeway and I'm trying to get that leeway to be bigger by increasing my food gradually like what they tell you reverse diet is about? Or how much of this is actually about keeping structure because then i started looking at various dieting like reverse dieting approach that people use and everyone is slightly different like you look at eric helms who will talk about the the maintenance, like the what well, i can't remember what he calls it but Recover basically it's straight to maintenance calories because his argument is i want to get you in a position where you're building muscle and get your health back in a good space you need to gain a bit of body fat cool some people take a really slow approach i tend to go halfway and work up from there and i tend to find that all the results tend to be very very similar and I think, what's, what separates these diets? And I say, I look at the people that Eric Helms worked with, or let's say I was working with you who's very, very skilled and we got you really, really lean. If I said to you, add 1,000 calories onto your day, we're taking you straight to maintenance, you've been doing this for 14 years. You could keep that structure and go, keep that same day-to-day routine with an extra 1,000 calories and probably hold your weight quite easily. But if you're looking at a busy office worker, father of three, he, he might, you give him an wow, well, when you add 50 grams of carbs to your day, allows him to keep structure. If you add 1,000 calories to his day, you go, "Well, oh, I've got loads. Let's go to Pizza Hut. And like, how? so how much, long way of asking this question, but how much of about reverse dieting do you think is actually about needing to increase gradually from a physiological standpoint? And how much of it do you think is actually just mentally keeping structure and finding ways to keep more focused that does most of the work?
0: Yeah, it's a super interesting question. It's Mm -hmm. one that I don't think we're able to give a black and white answer to, but Mm. I think probably rationale for both. I think we can't underestimate the physiological and psychological changes that take place. And I think specifically the psychological, if you've never done a diet before, and it doesn't matter how disciplined and structured you are, we're all human. We've all got these inbuilt evolutionary <laughs> instincts to put fat back on, back on our body, right? So even if you told me to add a thousand to my day, I'd like to think that I could do that. But who says that I'm not going to be triggered by walking past the Krispy Kreme counter when I go to Tesco? I'm still subject to those evolutionary instincts. Yes, willpower, my own experience can overcome those things but I'm still going to get that urge. And I think the challenge with, obviously, like you said, the office worker, the person who's not really that integrated into health and fitness is those urges have never been really, they've been resisted in the fat loss phase. All of a sudden, fat loss isn't the goal anymore. I've hit my checkpoint. And I think this is another challenge as well, is that we need to take that emphasis away from I call it the finish line mentality. And we just need to say that the real checkpoint should be when you get to the end of your reversal recovery diet, that should really be when you start to think that's when I've hit my goal. But yeah, then you tie in all of those different things and you've got the peer pressure of people around you saying, oh, you've done so well on your diet. You've now finished your diet. Let's go out for this. We've been holding off on the social for so long. So you've got so many different things coming into play. And you might say, well, those extra thousand calories might allow that person to do it. But I think it's going to just open up a whole world of opportunities of what I can fill those calories with. Whereas when you obviously keep those lower, it's still like, well, I've only got an extra hundred calories here. That's going to be far more favorable to add 150 grams of new potatoes to bulk out my diet a little bit more and maybe some action then maybe like a square of dark chocolate. And it just leans towards you making a better choice. Whereas obviously the more freedom and flexibility you've got, you're like, well, I don't have to be that conservative, with these calories anymore. So, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to answer your question directly, but I do think there's a lot of value in keeping that structure in place. And I think there's a physiological element as well, just mm-hmm. based on me personally. And then if we do just jump back to psychologicals and now talking about this and realizing how much really this is actually mostly psychological, is that we know that when you're going to take on more glycogen, you're going to take on more water. Our physique is not going to look that good after three or four months comparatively to what we were four days ago. After four days of an extra thousand calories, a bunch of water, the (laughs) things are going to soften. And I feel like that's just mentally going to be too much. Even if we if we end Mm -hmm. up there in eight weeks, or if we end up there in four days. I would rather it be eight weeks than four days. I think gra- a- you
1: can get used to gradual things, right? Is that, is, that frog in the, is that frog in the water? If you put it in water, it jumps out. If you slowly heat up, it boils to death. I don't know if that's actually true. But it's that sort of similar thing where if, if I slowly like gain fat over a period of time, it's like, okay, I'm just getting slowly softer. It's part of the process, I get it. As opposed to, whoa, I was shredded a week ago.
0: Yeah, but also add to this, right? In the first three days, you might be a little bit stronger from those calories, but after eight weeks of training in a bit more of close to maintenance slash a little bit of a surplus, you've had about six weeks of increased training performance. You felt the increases in libido, you feel a lot better. Whereas three days, you might feel okay, but you're also have eaten a ton of calories. So you might just be putting it down to that. But then you've started to (coughs) slowly get back into a good place. And also eight weeks later, you have less of those psychological angst, those triggers aren't going to be any as strong anymore, but those calories aren't going away. You have added a little bit of fat to your frame, so I think just the sudden nature of things doesn't lend well i don't think I think it would be key to just do it up and I think it is more from a psychological aspect, and I think you you're right in saying it does lend to more structure and I think anecdotally i don't i yeah I know the Eric Hos and the free d m j have their own way of doing it, but I think having done both a bit more of a unintentional reset and a structured reverse, my physique looked way better when I did the structured slow reverse than it did when I just jumped back up to higher calories.
1: So what's your what is your approach when it comes to reverse dieting? Because I think the the other psychological aspect, I suppose, of actually go approaching reverse diet is that going on the opposite side of the spectrum in terms of from the recovery diet to the very slow reverse. A lot of clients have have come to the end of a 10, 12, 20 Odd week diet, and they're drained and they're bored of dieting. Like mentally, I'm saying to someone now, "Hey, congratulations, you've done really, really well. Now you've got another twelve weeks of this, basically going in the other direction." It's a really lot to, for people to to get their head around. So, like, like how do you approach? the reverse to battle that side of it and obviously the, the inc- very increased fat gain that can be happened yeah
0: what you said is the opposite of what you want to do you never want to drop it on them at the <laughs> end You're like here's the here's the finish line actually I'm going to move that just a couple of miles further so yeah. I think I, on the first call I tell them about the reverse diet on the first call I'm saying it's probably going to be about anywhere between four and eight weeks, probably more like six to eight. But if we really want to do things quicker than four, and this is the key part of the process. Like I say, the fat loss phase is going to get you there. I'm not so worried about that. It's the reverse diet. That's the important part. So I think emphasizing that at the very start. So they're aware that, okay, it might be 12 weeks until I get to my fat loss goal, but it's actually going to be 18 weeks until I'm actually in a position where I've actually achieved my goal. And I actually reframe that from the start. I'm like, okay, okay this is not... Your goal isn't to get in shape. Your goal is to get to a place where you're sustaining that. So I say the first 12 weeks... 12 weeks is a terrible example. Let's say first 12 to 64 weeks, or however long your fat loss phase is going to take, is going to not be the sustainable part. The six to eight weeks after is where we're building sustainability back in. So that's where we have to be making sure that... That's the crucial part. This is the thing that's going to set you up for long-term success. And this is what I mean by the shift needing to change in the industry is that we need to focus more on this <clears> and getting people to the goal. And that's why I said, I'm not, I'm not going to take you on... Then this is why I also created a six-month option in my business as well. And I said, six months is usually a sufficient amount of time for most people because you've got 18 weeks of potential dieting and you've got an extra six weeks after that for the potential reverse. So we've got six months. And obviously, yeah, there's an option to add more time on. But you know, I get people on for three months, but... I don't actually say to anyone, your journey is going to be complete in three months. I don't think it's possible. I usually, mm. nine times out of 10. Actually, I would say that 9.5 times out of 10. Do you think anyone's journey can be complete and maintained in 12 weeks? I don't think so.
1: No, 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 absolutely yeah. not. Not at all. Even like, if you get someone in shape in six weeks, you know, you, I, I just think it, it's not, it's not long enough to truly ingrain habits. Three months in a grand spring of a year You've you've done more bad if you look at this the macro of the year, you've done you've done more bad reps if you've got yourself out of shape than you've done good reps. So yep. Unless you already came into that position in a good space and you just needed six weeks to lose a little bit of body fat for holiday, then you go back to a routine that was already pretty good. I don't, I don't, that's the only exception. Um, yeah. And
0: I want to add another point to that, actually, because if a lot of people be disheartened when they thought their journey was going to take six months, but it ended up taking 12. I'm like, well, look, you've just been able to stay cognizant of your health and fitness for 12 months. That bodes so much better than just doing. Three to six months because it's the same as cliche analogy of what happens to all lottery winners, right? They come into their money super quickly. They spend it all because it came too easy and then it goes too easy. Whereas if you worked hard and you grinded for that money and, you, and then you get to a position where like, well, I worked super hard for this. I ingrained a lot of good habits along the way. I'm probably going to be a little bit smarter about this going forward. Whereas if things come too easy to you, and I'm not saying you don't do the work if you do it in 12 weeks, but I have seen people... I don't think 12 weeks is long enough to potentially just build those long-term solid habits. It might be for some people, but 12 months is always going to be superior to 12 weeks from that perspective.
1: I think the interesting thing there, you're talking about people getting disheartened because it, they didn't achieve results as quick as they thought they would. I think that's a big thing of comparison being the thief of joy. And I think this yeah. is it's in your, the social media world now we see these 12 weeks. And I, I often challenge that when I go, "Oh, like I, I, I wish a result could have been quicker. And I'm looking at it and go, why? What is it that's made you feel like your results should have been quicker? And it's like, well, I saw other results on X page, or I saw this person manage to do it, but they're not you. And I and it, I it baffles my mind sometimes when someone goes, people lose 10, 20, 30 kilos and go, yeah, but I didn't lose 40 and I didn't do it in 12 weeks. I'm like, you just lost oh, 20, 30 kilos. It's this there's there's no there's no downside to what you have just done, whether it takes takes 20 weeks or it takes 20 years, you've not you're now here. And, 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 and like learn to be grateful of, of, of the, the hard work you put in. It's your journey. It's no one else's journey. I think comparison becomes such an, in, an in, important part of this. So people feel like they sh- it should take this long or they should be in this shape or they should look like this rather than I, I want to be here. I want to have these habits. I want to be in a better place. I completely agree. I'm not even okay. going to add to it. <laughs> I think we think we a lot of the mental barriers of there we covered sort of with reverse dieting, and I, th- I think in a way like you know it, it all comes back to sort of like some way keep keeping that structure and sort of like building those habits back in. I liked what you talked about because we spoke about it yesterday as well of that that first part of the diet is not supposed to be the sustainable bit, and then we are adding things back in because. We we said back at the start of this when we we're going during the diet bit that that your priorities change. You mentioned your priorities changing to more of a maintenance goal and less of a like a complete physique goal. You mentioned during the dieting phase how people tend to get halfway and lose the first ten kilos, and their life and goals change for the last ten kilos. The same thing comes when it when it comes to sort of that post diet that that people's, people's mentality, people's approaches sort of change. change, And you've got to be able to, as you, as you said earlier, I always say, I said this to you yesterday night, podcasts always come full circle. We've got to be able to roll with that as, as coaches and roll with that as your own goals, be able to go right, keeping some sort of structure, finding out what is now important to you, now the diet's done. Because what was a, that weekly five guys that you, you loved when you started this may be important to you, and then we can add that back in. Or it might not, and you might not care about it anymore, but you do really care about going having a bottle of wine with the partner on a Saturday night. And it's like, what's now important, now even have better habit? What are the old habits that actually you feel that you've lost after three weeks away and you still want them? I take the same mentality that is like buying stuff. I take a rule with buying expensive purchases. If, if I still want it three months later, I probably really want it. And then it's, it's worth sure. buying. If it's an impulse, sometimes I go, no. And the thing I say actually, you know I don't want that watch anymore. So I'm not going to buy it. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to sort of like your dieting habits. like, do you really like getting pissed every weekend? Or is it just what you've done for 25 years? Or do
0: you like the idea of it as well? Especially when it comes to the five guys, for example. Imagine this person has it first time after they finish dieting. They usually go in and they're like, oh, it's a bit greasier than I remembered. I only ate half a burger and I was absolutely full. Yeah. You know, most of the time they, they've changed their relationship with those things and realize well, it's actually not as nice as I remember it, but it was the thought, it was the association around it. And it's yeah. good for them to have that realization themselves. So yeah, like you even said, you might want to bring that back in, but you might realize that one glass instead of a bottle of wine is actually more than enough these days. And actually a home cooked burger that has far less grease and makes you feel rough the next day is probably more favorable, but not because I told you to, but it's because you now, it's now what you feel.
1: Yeah, but was, so we spoke. You spoke. We spoke off air yesterday about who do you recommend getting on the podcast. Like I mentioned a guy called Sean Foxton to you. And back when he was a health coach, his book is called Dark Side of Fat Boss, and it's a really good for anyone. This client, potential, like recreational trainee, or coach. It's good for bugs. It's a really simple, dummy guide to hormones. Plenty of analogies and things like this. And it's in. Heat, he talks about almost like a little bit of elimination diet early on. And on day twenty-one, he says he encourages people to go and have a bender. Everything you've wanted. Yeah, and because nine times out of ten just, they come back and they go man was this how rubbish i felt every day that just became so normal and they finally don't want to change their habits now i'm not saying i'm going to tell my clients to go well because every person that comes back like that you get that person that rebounds hard but it, it does address that point it's like your priorities change and it's what you really wanted and valued when you are 110 kilos unhappy and overweight is not the values you're going to have as a lean, fit, 84-kilo person. And your, your whole personality has changed. You're a new version of yourself. So what does the new version of yourself value? And it doesn't have to be hikes and macro tracking and dieting and deadlift scores, but at the same time, it might not be the same vices, let's call them, than they were at the start. It could, be, it could be more about, yeah, I do want beers with the boys every weekend. Fantastic. But I don't, I don't care about having chocolate midweek. No, I completely agree obviously you know we've really like nailed this topic now I think so if anybody wants to learn more about you and your approach and your goals where can people find you so the easiest place to find me will be on Instagram it's just at Elliot Hassoun
0: which is my name E-L-L-I-O-T H-A-S-O-O-N and in my in the link in the bio you'll be able to find everything we do at EH Coaching and then the podcast of course probably the place I want to send most people because I love hearing more about people listening to it Mm -hmm. because the simply fit podcast daily episodes go through short five to 10 minute topics on a day-to-day basis and on Sunday every week we'll have a long form episode and we had Simon come on which will be live on I think the 20th of December so if you're listening after that then he'll be live then and that was the simply fit podcast I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being